You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. In the room, I have Rob. Yeah, yeah. Ben. Fuck yeah. And Vic. Hey. <laughs> Exile on Main Street is a 10th studio album by the English rock band, the Rolling Stones, released on the 12th of May, 1972, by the Rolling Stones, on Rolling Stones Records. The producer was Jimmy Miller, and the genre is rock and roll and hard rock. All right, I'm going to read from All Music Review, Stephen Thomas Irwine, uh, with a brief preface. In the spring of 1971, nine years into their existence as the world's greatest rock and roll band, the Rolling Stones learned to their great dismay that they were not not only broke, but would also have to leave England to avoid paying a high British income tax. They decamped to the French Riviera and began recording their new album in the basement of a villa, uh, Nelco, Keith Richards' impressive mansion by the sea. The result was the Stones' only double album, the classic Exile on Main Street. Greeted with decidedly mixed reviews upon its original release, Exile on Main Street has become generally regarded as the Rolling Stones' finest album. Part of the reason why the record was initially greeted with hesitation reviews is that it takes a while to assimilate. A sprawling double album encompassing rock and roll, blues, soul, and country, Exile doesn't try anything new on the surface, but the substance is new. Taking the bleakness that underpinned Let It Bleed and Sticky Fingers to the Extreme, XL is a weary record, and not just lyrically. Jagger's vocals are buried in the mix, and the music is a sense of dark, dense jams with Keith Richards and Mick Taylor spinning off incredible riffs and soul while the songs continue the breakthroughs of their three previous albums. No longer does their country sound force or kitsch. It's lived in and complex, just like the group's forays into soul and gospel. While the songs include Rocks Off, Tumbling Dice, Torn and Frayed, Happy, Let Let It Loose, and Shine a Light are all terrific, they blend together, and only certain lyrics and guitar lines emerge from the murk. It's a kind of record that is gripping on the first listen, but each subsequent listen reveals something new. Few other albums, let alone double albums, have been so rich and masterful as Exile on Main Street, and it stands not only as one of the Stones' best records, but it sets a remarkably high standard for all hard rock. All right, what do we think of Exile on Main Street? The sunshine bores daylights <laughs> out of me. This is, dude, top five, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this album is incredible. Mixed Pro- reviews. What a what what a weird world 1972 was. <laughs> well, and I think that's actually really interesting because I was looking at um, just doing research for these albums in 1972. 
you can pretty easily, like, on the first or second page of the uh, Google results for mm. these albums, you can find the original reviews in Rolling Stone for them. Yeah, and yeah. it's just interesting to see the context of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This was not a record that took me any time to go, oh, that's a fucking banger. No, like, immediately. Immediately. Like, yes. it immediately grabbed my, my ears and, like, you know, we were saying earlier, like, as far as, like, double albums at work, like, it's not a fucking bad track on this record. Yeah. yeah. This, yeah. London Calling, end of sentence. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, it, 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 it's very surprising to me that, like, anyone would have any sort of a hesitance, like... Right. From think, the first track, I mean, it doesn't stop. I think uh, part of the hesitation I could see is someone thinking, I mean, it's so wild and it's so uns, sort of unstructured. And if you're not familiar with that sort of like being in a blues club at two in the morning and hearing people kind I of never was go off the rails, in you know, that position. I'm just saying <laughs> as a reviewer, people are used to this, you know, people performing in a certain fashion, and I feel like this kind of broke that rule of saying... Reviewers should have visited more juke joints. Yeah, exactly. Because they still exist in 1972. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is an awesome album. It's... Every time, I I always think, this is probably my favorite. I I go back and forth, but I... Some girls... This is always the one that I come back to. I come back to this one more, Mm -hmm. though. I always come back to this one. Yeah. It's a very Keith Richards album. It is. Like yeah. Keith was kind of, Keith was driving the boat at this point. Uh, he was also sinking into a, a sinking the boat. heroin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the the subject matter and musical styles covered on Exile is very Keith centric. At this point, Mick was getting bored with rock and roll as a concept. Wanted to push the band in different directions. This. And like and you know after this Keith's addiction was enough that that Mick really the, like the next several albums were very much Mick like Mick steered, mm-hmm. but this was just like the high point and low point of just Rocket Rolling Stones dirty rock and roll and that's why I like it yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah it also transcends too like we start off pretty hard with rock then blues mm-hmm. then going in the country and then mm-hmm. even like gospel like oh yeah soul gospel yep yeah every time i hear it, i think of like like nikki hopkins like killing it on the keys mm-hmm. they have a lot of good players that without them i i wouldn't like this nearly as much man you know what i didn't realize so the, the the recording sessions, especially the ones at uh, Nalcote, yeah, because uh, like there was like the first tier of recording sessions was there, and then eventually they moved to L.A. Yeah, to finish it. Uh, the the Nalcote sessions, they were recording every night, but it was kind of a a loose attendance policy. Like uh, people well, are sh- people are showing up at different times. Well, well because I mean, they also were conscious at different times. Yeah. yeah. People were people were awake at different times. Yes. People were functional at different times. Also, you should mention they went to Nelco because they're like, well, Keith Richards has to show up for recording because we're in at his, his house. in his house yes. in right. his basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to show up. <laughs> so, yeah, like so like the whole vibe was so loose. Tape was running every night. But the cast of characters was whoever and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like p- 
people would show up hours later than other people. People wouldn't show up at all. They had enough talent and enough just friends stopping by that there was always tape running. So, like, there, there were songs in here. Like, I love Charlie Watts as a drummer. Some of my favorite tracks, like, like from a drummer perspective, some of my favorite drumming tracks on this album, like, uh, like Tumbling Dice and and uh, Shine a Light, just like that that deep pocket groove of the drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were nights that Charlie Wilds wasn't even around. Turns out Jimmy Miller, the producer, is just fine to run a drum set. And when Charlie Watts wasn't there, he's like, "All right," and he's just laying down classic drum tracks. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Stephen Stills's record recorded the same way? Multiple different musicians coming in whenever, tape constantly running. He, he was going for a thing. Yeah. He didn't come out with Exile on Main Street. No, that's, that's what I'm asking, because there was right. a shit ton of talent with those people coming those, through as well. Those songs he had written, and he was present. He presented them to the like Jimi Hendrix and said, here, we're going to do this song. It was not the Keith Richards' strung out, and he comes up with guitar riffs and then he teaches it to the band and then there's oh, yeah. four other people stuff, that stuff was happening on in. the spot the song oh, yeah. the song happy which uh, Keith sings lead on is one of his few like uh like rolling stones because it was a single and it did decently and it's one of the few if not the only rolling stones decently performing single where where Keith sings lead but the entire existence of that song was four hours long. It went from not existing at noon to being on tape at 4 p.m. And it was just them in the house. I, I think it was it was like Keith and Mick Taylor and J- and Jimmy Miller and like a few other people just just dicking around. Most of the band wasn't even there. By 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 mid afternoon, they had an album track. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's just, that was the vibe. And it doesn't always work. It works for the Rolling Stones in 1972. Yeah. Apparently, Mick Jagger hated it. Oh, the, the vocals are mixed too low. Well, yeah, and so what I think, <laughs> what what I thought was uh, was interesting. I was doing some reading about it, and um, I kind of have a love hate relationship with the Rolling Stones. I really love this album, and I always have since I first listened to it. But um, in particular, I just don't really like Mick Jagger. And I read something, uh, some article where he was quoted as saying that he did not understand. The praise for this album among Rolling Stones fans because the album didn't yield many hits. As if that's the indicator of quality for music is for Mick Jagger is like, you know, how much is this going to sell and how many singles are there? Where I think every, you know, every song on this album is solid and Mm -hmm. it's great and I don't give a shit if there's a single on it. Yeah, so. that they weren't going so. for the singles. No, no. Real, and that's not the vibe the of this at all. It's a mood. I, was, I like. Yeah. I also like Keith Richards' uh, rebuttal to these like early two thousands Mick Jagger interviews where he's panning uh, Exile Main Street. Right. Keith Richards says, "I would never take Mick's recollection of anything very seriously." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just he, a such he, prima donna attitude. He was probably just. It. He was yeah. probably bitter because he was. The uh, you know the leader of the band right, but he could not. He's not the leader of Keith Richards. No, and he couldn't <laughs> control the no. process at all. Absolutely so. not. You had to run away from your fucking home yeah. to record this record <laughs> at your friend enemy's house, yeah. who's on heroin most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. 
Yep. The best I, thing that uh, <laughs> uh, that Mick Jagger ever did was uh, the slowed down version of Dancing in the Street. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the only thing worth looking at of, of his uh, his work. So I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen um, Amazing Grace, the movie of the the documentary mm-hmm. of Aretha yep. singing. Have you seen it? Yeah. I have not. Yeah. So did you notice how they show, you know, the Rolling Stones, at least Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. in the audience mm-hmm. for like the second night, I think. And so when I was reading about this, they, they, they were in L.A. to finish up this album and that was what caused them to like go back and record Shine a Light was going to see Aretha sing. And that, and if you haven't seen that movie, it's incredible. I think that's also the, the point where they got busted (laughs) in France, but they were actually in LA. And so they didn't, uh, they kind of avoided Mm -hmm. that. They did come back though. And and kind of patched it up. Double exile. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. (laughs) Exile from their exile. I mean, (laughs) what do they get busted for? That's fucking outlaws. Yeah, dude. They are outlaws. Did they find a bunch of drugs in the house? (laughs) There was literally a drug runner in the house pulling in a pink, uh, pink like heroin, which they called cotton candy. Uh, Most of it went directly into Graham Parsons, who was just hanging out. Exactly. (laughs) So many people hanging out and, and, and doing this stuff. But. A lot. Did I, you I know that I Keith Richards evicted Graham Parsons? Oh, if yeah. you are evicted by Keith Richards, <laughs> you're doing too much heroin. <laughs> exactly. Keith like, oh, mate, yeah. that's too much. Graham Parsons on this album and I had read that he was real shy about coming down because they were like hey come down hang out with us and he's like I don't want to be around all the Nazi swastikas on the walls I don't know maybe (laughs) I I mean I don't I don't actively I don't actively hear Graham Parsons on this album but I hear Graham Parsons influence in like say Torn and Frayed oh the country tinge of Torn and Frayed sounds like it could have been a Burrito Brothers song yeah to go back to your, uh, what they're busted for, they were busted a couple times, I, I believe, but that time was just for drugs because the French police was starting to get a, like... You can't do no- drugs in our Nazi right. house. Yeah. Right, well, and weren't the, I mean, it's not like they had real close next door neighbors, but weren't like the people in oh, the yeah. surrounding houses and oh, properties they knew what were was, real, like started to actually They knew what was going up. Also, it. Keith Richards, someone, uh, he went down to the, the harbor where he was getting a boat and someone hit his car, scraped his car, so he pulled out a German uh, hunting knife and threatened <laughs> the, the, this Italian couple. Just another thing you found in the basement. Right, exactly. The, uh, that man. The harbor master came out and was like, hey, what are, you, what are you doing? Don't threaten these people. And he like let those people go. 
And then Keith was like, I'll fight you too. And then, <laughs> and then the Harbor Master just like laid him out with like a right hook. He goes down and his friend comes over and punches the Harbor Master. <laughs> and then Keith Richards grabs a gun, but it was like a toy gun from the car that his kid had. And he pointed at him, but but the Harbor Master had a real gun that he pointed. And then, of course, his friend uh, Tony was like, no, no, no. He's speaking in French. He's like, no, no, no. It's not a real gun. It's not a real gun. <laughs> and then they basically like left. Then he realized, oh, shit, we're going to absolutely be busted because they're going. They know exactly who we are. They know where we live. Oh, for sure. And so he basically like said, everybody just get out, clear out. Let's let's do all this. Dang. That's rock and roll, man. That was it. They came <laughs> the and I think they there was an undeclosed undeclared amount that they paid i think it was like sort of like a bribe under the table sort of thing then they signed some records and everything went Mm. away Mm. man being a knife to a gunfight in a french harbor the keith richards saga but (laughs) yeah another time that you know they were bringing a toy gun i think they're running so many drugs and also a toy gun they just showed up at the house (laughs) they had to pay fines and you know Man, there's so used? few guns in France. Who'd have thought that that harbor master would be one of the, the eight folks? Oh, maybe he's maybe he's somewhat like law enforcement. Have any of you yeah. dorks read uh, Nick Kent's The Dark Stuff? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, there's a wonderful chapter on him hanging out with Keith Richards, hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I I can't recommend that book enough. Yeah, uh, I will bring it next time, and one of you can borrow it Sweet. because it's. Yes, please. Well, I mean, it, it's it, everything from like his like it, Nick Kent was a musical journalist, and like so, all of these stories are from this particular point in time in the seventies of like yeah of all uh, everything that we're going to be covering. Um, mm-hmm. it, it 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 would be a good good refresher. Um, awesome, I'd he, love to read it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. So, is there? I go back and I, I just keep going back to this album and wondering like how did it ever get done? That's the mm-hmm. that's what kind of blows my mind is that. Oh, so, and they're they're the and, biggest band in the world. They're, yeah, they're pros. Like they're pros enough that they can be fuck ups and still be pros. That's just incredible to me, though. Yes, it was a different time. I mean, yeah, they're the, the, the album I'm number twenty, uh, album number ten, like. Yeah. Nice. Doing this every day shot. forever. I mean, yeah, like they're they're on a completely different <laughs> level. They each have their own bottle. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's weird that you don't actually feel what the drugs do to them until they get closer to the eighties. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that. That's yeah. that's when, like, after some girls, I uh, think, is just when shit starts falling apart. Mm-hmm. Well, they they go disco for a minute there. I mean, everyone did disco. Pink Floyd went disco, man. Oh, yeah. Everyone went disco. Not everyone. Most went disco. Bee Gees went disco. And Kiss yeah. went, Kiss <laughs> went disco. Pink Floyd went disco. Stones went disco. Stooges didn't go disco. David Bowie never went it, it disco. It kind of broke up, though. Stooges broke up. Bowie, <laughs> Bowie never went disco. Yeah, he went... Bowie waited the two yeah. years so he could do straight up, like, 80s... Shake your butt dance. <laughs> He's yeah, just hanging yeah. out with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wearing a tracksuit. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Man, what a fucking good record, though. Yeah. Seriously, oh, it's it's so a good, good. really good. I just want to listen to it all the time. It's, yeah, it, it, it's over an hour long. I don't get bored of it. Yeah. No. no there is a, 
man, such a short list of of double albums that could not be edited down to better single albums. Yeah, I had read too that they were thinking about, well, let's let's pare it down. We got all these songs, let's figure it out. And then they just said, well, no. There's no shaft. What are we going to do? There's no Deadwood. Yeah. Huh? The sequencing has a lot to do with why this works, though. Oh, yeah. That was, was, that was another story, is they couldn't decide on the sequencing. Uh, Mick Jagger was sending it to Keith, and he was like, hey, what about this? And Keith Richards like... Yeah, not so much uh, the three, four songs that are all in the same key uh, right next to each other. That just doesn't work out. And I guess they went back and did tons of, of uh, you know, resequencing. And by the end, they were just like, I'm tired of this. I'm not even going to care anymore. But I think they well, did Whatever it. they came up with. This is the best. I love the sequencing of this album. Yeah. Uh, like, it's so, it, you know... I. Like uh, in the in the, the the vinyl format, you know, it's four sides. Yep. I think each side is a nice little cohesive sublet. Uh, it works so good as a whole. The very first time I ever listened to this album, I think I was listening to it in a digital format, and by the time I got to "Let It Loose," which was uh, you know track fourteen in a digital format, it felt like an album closer, and I was so. I was prepared for it for the record to be done and let it loose just seemed like like a nice big finale like nice big like cathartic gospel song to close it all out and then there was a song after I let it loose and it was good and there's a song after that and it's good and then you get to shine a light and then, and that's an even bigger finale than let it loose yeah. and then there's a song after that like like the first time i heard this album it was like this album just keeps on giving and like i'm not sick of it it's like like i don't deserve this much rock and roll oh thank you rolling stones i was like i, I was so ready for it just to be done after what, what was actually just three out of four sides yeah <laughs> Get that bonus. But man, shine a light. Mm-hmm. That was a great shine song. Shine a fucking mm-hmm. light. Not yeah. even not in not even Charlie Watts doing that. It is such a jammer. Yeah. You know that song, uh uh it was a several year old composition at the time that uh Mick had been working on with Leon Russell. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh the like the the tragedy of Brian Jones. It was like the inspiration of that song, like just like watching the Brian Jones story from from that per, like that close perspective was just kind of like the underlying theme of the lyrics of Shine a Light. Yeah, man, I was really hoping that Turd on the Run was a uh, band on the run, like making fun of Band on the Run. <laughs> First time I heard of the title, it's not though, no. because Band on the Run comes later, but. Yeah. I was really hoping they were making fun of wings. <laughs> I don't know what that inside joke was, but I I'm, I like that they did it. Yeah. yeah, like there's no reference to it in the lyrics of right. the song, but I accept that that song is just called "Turn on the Run." <laughs> yeah. Are there any other albums like this that just have this sort of chaotic, you know, for for two discs or, or yeah, no Ram, to be able to Ram to be able Shackle to. And- to ride this chaos like an experienced rodeo cowboy for mm-hmm. two whole discs is, I think, something that only 1972 Stones could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, ten solid years of, like, or 
But shit, how long? Yeah. When did about, they start? About, was it ten years? About ten. Okay, yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah. Hard touring. Yep. Writing for that long, doing all the drugs. Yeah. Drugs uh, start taking their toll, but you're still a bunch of fucking road dogs that have been writing and like doing this thing for so long. And yep. then yeah, like it, that and having that much money still. Yeah. To continue that sort of like lifestyle, well, money. Yeah. They, well, they were broke. They were, all, they were broke. <laughs> they quote unquote broke. <laughs> they were inside a mansion right. <laughs> in the yes. south of France. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking broke. Yeah, pricks. Well, they were um, broke on paper. Yeah. Well, they. Yet somehow the drugs still came. Who, who the knows? drugs will come to Keith Richards. Yeah, he's, he's like he a, beckons them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a wizard. He's a drug whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it to have this done again, like I, I don't think you'd ever find a, a, a set of circumstances where it could. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah, that, that times passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they did it. They 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 were falling apart on the seams, and they managed to crank out their their best work. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think you're on to something, too, with the it being a Richards-produced mm-hmm. yep. album. Definitely. I think that does drive it home to the sort of uh, rock and roll blues stuff I, yep. I'm into. He's the yes, rootsy exactly. guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wants the gospel. He wants the, the country. He wants the blues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mick is more interested in what's next. Like, hey, what's mm-hmm. this disco thing on the horizon? What's right. this new wave thing? But yep. Keith's... Always been the the, the roots dude. Yep. Yeah, but I think at the same time, Mick Taylor was. I mean, he was a good addition to the group. Absolutely, Mick should have been looking at Prague. Yeah, Mick should have been looking at Prague. <laughs> Mick Taylor got a uh, got a writing credit on this album. Yeah, uh, he did. one of the very few songs of the Rolling Stones catalog that's not just uh, Jagger Richards. Yeah, it's one of my favorite songs too, dude. Ventilator Blues. Ventilator Blues. Mm-hmm. That song is heavy as shit. It is. Yeah. That's real heavy blues riffy, yeah. kind of clunky yeah. in a way, but in a real rhythmic kind of way. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of variety in here and somehow it all works. Yeah. Together. Yeah. That's what I, I just can't understand the <laughs> with so many people in and out and yeah. doing the overdubs later or something like that. It just feels so it feels very natural with these different um, compositions. And maybe it's just the limitations of who is in the room at the time and being able to record, you know, like the song we're listening to now, it doesn't have drums, you know, and maybe that's because no there one wasn't went, anyone there. There was to no play one the there to play it, yeah. but it sounds great. <laughs> it's you got know, marimba. Without drums, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Gotta feel like an angel. Gotta be not good. Got a sweet like an angel up up on the flower. Well, she ain't no singer, she ain't no star, but she showed all the good. She moves so fast, but the guy in danger, yeah, the guy in chains. But you keep on pushing, what you take on bed. She counting up your meaning. I 
did not realize. So we're listening to you said we're listening to it, right and we're listening to the Sweet Black Angel, yep, yep. which is I didn't know about uh, Black Panther Angela Davis mm-hmm. and her fight uh, while she was facing murder charges. I didn't really. Know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that until I. There, there's definitely a lot about these songs that I did not appreciate. Yeah, the context of until I was look, actually reading about it. Yeah. Uh, when man, did you I, all first listen to this? I, I know. When I moved down here, honestly. When I moved, what, what, yeah, it was, Weird, I, that, Rob and I moved here. We were roommates. We moved here at the same time. And mm. it was right when I moved to Louisville. We were hanging out with Max and Jackson every day. Mm. Yep. Yep. Jackson and, is the and reason this album I started listening to was, too. Was, was just part of those hangouts. Yep. Yeah, I would say it was probably like late high school or college or something like that. And I can't remember why I was just starting to get in, into more of the Stones. It was after the, the Beatles phase. You yeah, know, like yeah, whole, the, the natural the be- progression. The natural of... progression. Yeah, and so yeah. I listened to, I think my brother had Let It Bleed, and I really liked that. But I was just, I was like, what else, you know, mm-hmm. what else was around this period right. that sounds like that? And then I, I got this, and I was like, you blown, found the right blown one. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this not only made me really appreciate the stones um just being more than the 80s stones or you know like we we think of them as like a little bit older than yeah not coming from that generation but at the same time it made me go back to the earlier delta blues stuff that then i really got into of digging deep like they did of going to those those originators of like Robert Johnson and all that stuff mm-hmm. like that. This mm-hmm. album is like a big catalyst for for me. Yeah, there's a there's a couple like deep blues covers on here. Yeah, there's a uh is a Harpo St- Slim or is it uh, a Slim Slim, Har- Slim Harpo, Harpo and a uh, Robert Johnson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, checking those out and then just digging back from there, or I guess forward in terms of Robert Johnson. Uh, there were a couple of things that I read about this. I mean, there's so many stories, but one of the stories I had never heard before, and I was like, why isn't this, um, brought up more is they, they bought a full size roulette wheel that they took to the house (laughs) and people would play roulette until one or two in the morning. Then they'd change it to poker and sometimes craps. I never knew that with the song, like tumbling dice and yeah. Uh, there's another one about gambling, casino, casino uh, boogie, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like I heard on, on tumbling dice, uh, what, what, what I had heard was, was that Nick or Mick wasn't that much of a dice player at the time, but the housekeeper of, of Keith Richards mansion was, hmm. so he just had like a, like a sidebar, this conversation with, uh, this woman, they just talked dice for a while and she gave him all like the terminology and phrases for writing the lyrics of Tumbling Dice. That's awesome. Sixes and sevens and nines, man. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about this album. It's, it's so just, good. It's just so good. I love the muddy. I, I do love the muddiness too. The sort of. Yeah, I disagree with Mick on the mixes. I think the yeah. mixes are just fine. Oh, I think agreed. the mixes are great. Yeah. yeah. I listen to the Love and Cup right now. And just like, you know, I, I I play drums. Just like like the stank, those fills. And you're like they're like they're like behind the beat in a John Bonham kind of way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just make you bop. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
I love them. <laughs> Another thing that I really really like. There's a few like there's a few like just like little moments of brilliance in in this this whole album of 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 just moments that I love. There's like a few just like little moments of brilliance that stand out. Uh, a couple of them are in uh, uh, Shine a Light. Mm-hmm. There's one part right near the beginning where the piano and the organ in the same measure have a little call and response. Like the piano goes, mm-hmm. bum, and the organ's like, bum, 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 like right there, like, bum, 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 bum. and it, it's just like, a, you know, me singing it to you is not doing it any justice. Yeah, yeah. But just that little, like, the communication of the players in the room. And just like just picking up on that little thing and and furthering it, and then right after that, at the very beginning of like the first verse, there's just like a little rim shot at the after the, the first thing uh, mix things. It's like, and it's really 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 nice. It's just so <laughs> cool. It's it's like the tastiest thing. L- listen to listen to Shine a Light again, and listen after first line mix things. Seriously, it's, it's it's oh my oh, goodness! It's yeah. just like it's like salt on popcorn. It's just great. <laughs> yeah, this uh, the players on this this album are you can't get better. You got Nicky Hopkins. You got Bobby Keys. Yep. And then once they get to L.A., yeah, even more. You got Doctor John. Yeah. You've got yeah. Leon Russell. Wait, maybe not Leon Russell. I know he helped write. Uh, uh, Shine a Light, but I don't know if he was there for the recording of it. But absolutely, Dr. John's there. Yeah. It's it's really amazing, too, to look up the set, like the session musicians on, on like a, a Wikipedia or something like that mm-hmm. and just see, like, they were on this this song, this song, this song, not on, you know, <laughs> like, how, like they're all on different songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all on uh, different tracks. Same with the band. Actually, same with, like, Mick Jagger. They actually specify... Who's on Who's what on, track? Yeah. yeah, dude. There's discrepancies on like, it's like dedi- oh, yeah. dedicated bassist Bill Wyman. There are discrepancies on how much he contributed to, to the album. Yeah, because it, just the nature of it. Like uh, there are some some days where they'd feel like playing, and maybe everyone because Bill Wyman wasn't he wasn't one of the addicts they were dealing with. He was a varying degree of of abstaining. Uh, whatever that is relative to the rest of the Rolling Stones. But there's still, there's songs where Mick Taylor would just pick up a bass and double it because Bill Wyman was just not in the room at the time. And, and, you know, now, like, like, uh, like decades later, there's still discrepancy on who actually played what on what. Yeah. (laughs) As Richards was picking up Marlon's toys in the living room one night, Greenfield watched him grab a mystery peel off the floor. Bam, he throws it down his throat. Greenfield says, who knows what he put in his mouth? But that was Keith. Could have been a vitamin, but I don't think so in that house. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many, like, little stories like that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone else get on on Shake Your Hips? Uh... (laughs) Uh, I, it, it was a it was a blues cover of mm-hmm. Slim Harpo, mm-hmm. but their treatment of it, I get whiffs of Lagrange, which is oh, just um, just one hundred percent. A couple years, yeah. a couple yeah. years on the horizon, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just that that Texas shuffle. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, 
Is there, I mean, do we, we don't need to go around the room, no, right? No. This is no. an amazing I have no brainer. Stop yeah. what you're yeah. doing and put on exile. Yeah, yeah. sure. At any time, no matter what you're, what what kind of mood you're in. Literally yeah. any time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you in a meeting? <laughs> are put you, on exile. Are you a person? <laughs> are, you, are you at a funeral? <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's songs. You could play it at sure. my funeral. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely play yeah. exile at my funeral. <laughs> Uh, I would say though it's a, definitely a party record. Yeah, yes. put it on at a party, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, late night. You can party as hard as you want, and you're still going to be yeah. taking it lighter than the folks you're listening to. That's yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You've never partied as hard as you never so. would, never <laughs> have, and never will. In, unless, unless you were part of the production of the Black Sabbath album Four, <laughs> you have not partied as hard. <laughs> uh. Are you snowblind? <laughs> yeah, I am. All right, next time we're going to uh, be talking about Leonard Skinnerd, pronounced Leonard Skinnerd. All right, thanks, y'all.